Acts 21, Part 2, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Peter on. I think there is sort of a disease that's happening uh, in the church, and unfortunately, the disease is, is, is something that we carry within our own hearts. We have this mentality sometimes when we come to church and we have secularized the church in a many way. What I mean by that simply is that when we come to church, we have sort of a consumerist mentality. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, years ago, I used to have a a, a specific telephone service, cell phone service. I'm not gonna share the companies. I don't wanna badmouth them. But uh, I mean, I just couldn't get any service from them. I was home, I wasn't getting phone calls. It went to voicemail. When I wanted to use a navigation system, it wouldn't work, so I got no reception. And it kind of, I, I think sort of the, the, the pinnacle for me was when I was in LA, I was in an event there, and I couldn't even use my phone in the second largest city in the country. I just said, I'm done with this company. And so I canceled my service and I got Verizon. And I've been happy ever since, all right? I've been happy ever since. But that's, I think in some ways though, when we think about the power of a customer, We have a lot of power. In fact, my marketing professor many years ago when I was an undergrad, he said this, he said, customers are no longer kings nor queens, we're dictators. Whatever we want, we get. And here's the disease that's happening in the church. We bring that here. A lot of us, we come in here with a consumerist mentality, we come shopping and we hope that the service better be good. And if it's not, we'll get upset and if the service isn't good for consecutive Sundays, perhaps maybe we think about it's time to leave or go someplace else. It happens. We have a consumerist mentality and what that's doing is that's creating sort of a cancer in the church and we're losing the effectiveness of what church is all about. And I want you to be real honest with yourself. Is that something that you carry within today? Do we have a consumerist mentality where we come to church and we expect to be served, that the service has to be good, and if it's not, then we get a little upset, you know, we start thinking, entertaining ideas of perhaps maybe going to other places. Some of you, they may not even, that might not even be your struggle. For some of us, the struggle simply is that you have a very low view of the church. You question even if it's a place where God exists anymore, and I get that. I mean, you watch the news and you see tons of stories of clergy abusing children, abusing people with either physical, sexual, verbal, whatever it might be. And you see all these stories and and sometimes we, we see it and we just conclude that the whole church, capital C, is just no longer a place where God lives. There was a person that I met once, a person who was in seminary who was training to be a to be a minister. And she had this audacity to say in a group of people in the church, she doesn't know if the church is really the place where God exists anymore. I gladly took her aside and I said, you shouldn't be here anymore. If that's your belief, you have secularized what church is about. Today, as we continue in Acts 21, we're gonna see Paul the apostle and he truly is going to help you and I to see what the church is all about. And, and, I, and it's, it's beautiful because when you take a look at this passage, you're going to find that the church of Jerusalem fails Paul. They don't just fail him with bad service. They fail him in an epic way where he almost died. But yet what Paul does, I think, is a, is a powerful reminder for you and I today that we are to really ask ourselves, How do we see the church? When I say the church, capital C, the church, all of the churches, how do I see it today? And have I allowed the world or maybe even the devil to corrupt it in such a way 
where I approach it in such a way where they are to serve me and they are to make me happy. My friends, that's not why Jesus came. That's not why Jesus came and died for the church. And so we're going to take a look at this. And so before we dive into it, uh, I, I want to just spend a little moment for us to just go to God in prayer right now, if you can. So let's just bow our heads for a moment of prayer. And so Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come right now. The purpose have, of the church, Lord, that you died for has been compromised, I believe, today, all over the world. And it's because of failed leadership, the brokenness of leaders in the church, but it's also because of its parishioners who come, and they come with a mindset where they're shopping. And some of us love to shop. Help us not to have that attitude when we come to your house. Would you teach us through the Apostle Paul, God, how do we do this? How do we enter into the church and see it the way you would want us to see it and to live with it the way you would want us to live with it? And so God, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room I pray that it would indeed be pleasing unto you. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Before we get into this text in Acts 21, what I first want to do is I just kind of want to establish what Jesus teaches his disciples, and specifically the apostle Peter about the church, that you and I need to sort of re-grab again, that we need to sort of see and sort of establish and let that be the foundation from this day forward and how we live our lives and how we see the church going forward, all right? This is timeless teaching. That's not just teaching, but it's something that Jesus Christ believed with his whole heart even unto death. In Matthew chapter 16, Peter declared that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And when that happened, it was like euphoria for Jesus. He was so happy that Peter was able to come to this realization even before his resurrection, that Peter came to this realization. And here's how Jesus responds to Peter. Look at verse 17, Matthew 16, verse 17. It'll be up on the screen, I do hope, in just a little bit. Is it up there, Isaac? All right, well, if not, there we go. Matthew 16, verse 17. Here's what Jesus says to Peter. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. He gets a new name. That you are Peter. And on this rock, Jesus says, here's the key thing, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I want you to play, pay close attention that when Jesus declares to Peter, he gives him a new name, but he says to Peter, I will build my church. He doesn't say to Peter, we are going to build a church together. He doesn't say that. He says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will never overcome it. Amen? Jesus is the one who builds the church. I want you to see this. So therefore, we cannot look at the church as a place where we come and where we expect to be served. We cannot see the church as a place where we feel like maybe God doesn't reside anymore because then we're going completely antithetical to what Jesus is teaching here. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He doesn't say to Peter, we are going to do it. He says, no, it's me. I will do it because I will do it through my death and resurrection. And so get used to it, Metro. The church is here to stay. It ain't going anywhere because Jesus built, built it and he says, the gates of Hades will never overcome it. I love what he says here at the end. He says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. 
that if you want to be my arms and my hands and my feet and you want to go out, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you decide to do, you will, you will be blessed by my presence and my hand. And so I want you to know that the church is the place in which Jesus Christ has built. He's done it through his death and resurrection. And so may your ecclesiology right now be purified. May it be sort of purified so that the spirit of God can fill you again and so that you can have reverence for the very house that Jesus Christ has built through his death and resurrection. Because that's exactly what the church, when I say the church, I'm not saying this church, I'm saying the church. All churches are places where Jesus Christ has built and the gates of Hades will never overcome it. Paul knew that to be true. And so he goes to the church of Jerusalem. If you've been following with us, he goes there to give them some money because they were financially in trouble. He had a lot of gifts to give to the church of Jerusalem. He was also realizing that he wanted to go and and share with James and the elders uh, what God had been doing through him through the ministry of the Gentiles. He wanted to go and share all of that stuff. And in that moment, as he does, they celebrate with him for about 30 seconds. And then you see some failed leadership. And that's what I want to kind of hone in on a little bit. Look at verse 17 of chapter 21. Verse 17 of chapter 21 of Acts. Here we go. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, again, part of the, he was part of the 12, and the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they praised God. Oh, great job. Awesome, awesome. Look how quick they changed. Then they said to Paul, hey, you see, brother, uh, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do, Paul? What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, so do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow, a Nazarite vow, to be specific, take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know there is no truth to these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. How did Paul respond to this? The next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end, which would be seven days, and the offering would be made for each of them. The church of Jerusalem was struggling with weak leadership. You got to know this. James says, hey, there are thousands of Jews that have come to know Jesus Christ, but guess what? Uh, They're not subscribing or submitting themselves to the doctrine or the spirit of, of God. That they, more importantly, they have allowed the law of Moses to seep in in such a way where it takes greater precedence over Jesus Christ. That was what's happening in the church of Jerusalem. And so as a result, when Paul came, they feared that now that they're going to be labeled or connected to Paul. Now they're James and the elders are afraid that perhaps maybe they're in trouble, that they might get in trouble, or at the very least that it's going to be embarrassing. Some shame will be caught. So what do they do? They order Paul to take these men, these four men who made a Nazarite vow and to enter into the purification rites. And the purification rites, what it means is that because Paul was in Gentile regions, he would have to go through it anyway. And, and to, if he were to make that public, that it would show the Jewish Christians and the Jewish people that Paul had deep reverence for the law and he did what he did. 
right? And so it would be made public. And so they believe in their own understanding. And I think it was smart to some level that if they were to see that, that Paul would perhaps maybe not cause them shame or maybe cause them any pain or harm would come to the church of Jerusalem. Did Paul agree with them? Absolutely not. Paul didn't. He didn't agree with them. He didn't, did he want to do this? Absolutely not. He didn't want to do this. He didn't. But he does. Why? I mean, when you read the chapter before, the prophet Agabus comes to Paul, ties his feet with Paul's belt in his hand. He says, don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to get hurt. They're going to beat you up. You're going to go to jail. It's going to be awful. Don't do it. And he's a prophet. And what does Paul say? He flexes his leadership muscles. He goes, come on. Even though, Jay, even though Luke and his other companions came in, they told him not to go. He says, stop breaking my heart. I'm ready to die for Jesus if I have to. Why didn't Paul respond that way to James? Why? Why did he decide to do something that he completely disagreed with? This is huge because I think a lot of us, when we believe in something and we disagree with something, we believe we have the right to do what we truly believe. Why did Paul not do what he truly believed? Because he cared about the preservation of the church. He cared about the unity of the church. Paul knew that if he were to go against them, that it would cause disunity in the church. He knew, he was wise enough to realize that if he were not to do this, that the church of Jerusalem might be divided. And so because of that, because Paul believed in the unity of the church, because he knew that Jesus Christ is the one who builds the church and the gates of Hades will never overcome it, he submitted himself to fail weak leadership because he cared about the unity of the church. He has such reverence for it. And he realized that when you're a part of a church, it's not about individualism. And that's why church today has become such so consumerist for many of us. Because we, we support our individualism so much. And Paul knew that it's not about what he believes. It's about what's good for the greater of the church. And so he submitted himself to doing something that he completely disagreed with. Paul didn't do it because he believed that perhaps if he does this, then he's not going to get beat up and put in jail. He didn't believe that. He knew that was going to probably happen. He did it because he believed in the unity of the church. Unity is supposed to be the hallmark of the church, Metro. When Jesus says, I will build the church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it, one of the most beautiful things that we see of the church is that unity is supposed to be flamboyant in the church. People have to see it. John 17, before Jesus is arrested and taken up to the cross and crucified, what does he pray for? What is the common theme that he prays for? You and me, unity. He says, God, would you help them to be one so that the world would know that you have sent me? So unity is the utmost importance. And we, as we come here as a church, I know we want to get fed in some ways. I know we want people, I know you want to hear a message. I know we want to worship well. I know there's some things that we need. I know we want things for our children and all those things. I get it and I get those desires. But Metro Community Church, that should never be primary. That should never be the reason why you come here. Why do we come here to church? Because Jesus Christ builds it and our job is to build unity in the church in which he built. Can I get an amen? Amen. That is why we're here. That is why Jesus wants you to be here and he wants you to step into this place where you and I will not embrace or create a sense of individualism in the church. That we would put that to the side and we would say, I, if, if, if my individualism is going to destroy the unity of the church, then I will never be individualistic or have that kind of mindset when I come into the church because Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will never overcome it. I know there's failed leadership. I know some of you have low view of the church. 
But understand that Jesus builds this church. He's here. And I'm sorry that sometimes, and some of you have been a part of failed leadership. I am deeply sorry on behalf of all pastors who have hurt you and wounded you. Please, they don't represent the church. Jesus does. Jesus does. Amen. And so how do we build greater unity in the church? Then I just have two thoughts for you, two things that we learned from Paul that we have to be good at, because if we're not, then we will be agents of this unity here. How do we build greater unity in the church today? Here's the first one. You have to be submissive to the leadership of the church. If you want to build unity in this church, if you want to be a part of unity, you have to submit to the leadership of this church. You have to. Paul submitted himself to the elders of Jerusalem, even though he didn't believe what they were doing was right, even though they were failed, they failed in their leadership. He did. Paul didn't flex his leadership muscle because he could have. Paul was anointed by the Holy Spirit. He was anointed by God. God had used them in major ways. He'd raised people from the dead. Remember the guy who fell asleep when Clay preached about it? He fell asleep during Paul's sermon, fell out the window and killed himself. I mean, think, of, think about how that would make you feel. You preaching and somebody falls asleep while you preach and they die. Talk about, think of it, should I even do this? Like, should I continue to preach? People are dying while I preach. It's not good. Paul says he's sleeping. He's not dead. It raises him from the dead. Paul could have flexed his leadership muscle. He could have rebuked those guys and be like, how dare you? Why are you so far from God? Why do you believe in the law more than the Holy Spirit? He could have done that, but he didn't. Why? Because he knew that if he didn't submit himself to the leadership of the church, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be this unity, and it's going to divide the very church that Jesus Christ came and died for and built. And so as a result of it, he submitted himself even to failed leadership. We all have to submit ourselves. I submit myself to the elder board of our church. I have to do this. Scott is our chair. He's our president. There is, where is our elder board up there? I'm not sure if they are. There they are. There's our elder board. These are the board that I need to submit myself to. That if they all come to me and say, you got to do this, I, even if I disagree with them, I do have to submit myself to them. You have to submit yourself to the leadership of this church. That if you want to continue to build unity in the church, and please understand that like, God will judge the leaders of this church. He will. And so I know some of you are experts at certain things in your field. I know some of you are Fortune 500 leaders. I know some of you get paid a lot of money for your own leadership. I get that. Now, what I'm saying simply is this. Don't blindly follow. Share your concerns. Share the things that you might have issues with. Share it, but don't just share it. Maybe you can offer a solution. Help us out a little bit. Because maybe you have greater ideas than we do, and we need that. But hear me on this. Hear me on this. You are to submit to the leadership of this church. Not just to me, to our past, other pastors, to the directors of these ministries, to our elder board, which is the highest level of leadership in this church. We are called by God to do so. This passage shows us how seriously Paul viewed the unity of the church and how he was willing to do everything possible to please those who were different in perspective from himself. Paul had so much wisdom that he knew that if he didn't submit himself to the leadership of his church, the church of Jerusalem would be divided. And so he does. And that's why he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20, can we put that up there? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20, here's what he says. To the Jews, I became a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. He's talking about this experience. So as to win those under the law. 
One of the major reasons in how we can preserve unity in a church is when we submit ourselves to the leadership of the church. Now, when you decide to go rogue, meaning go contrarian to the leadership of the church, I want you to be very clear here. You're not participating in the work of God when you decide to go rogue. You're participating in the work of the enemy. Share your concerns, your issues with the leadership of the church. You have to do that. But sometimes, you know, we kind of go through these extremes about church. Because you see what's happening in the news and things like that, we tend to just say, well, I'll just do whatever I want to do. And that's a real bad place for us to be. And if we're ever going to do what Elder Scott did when he came up here, that if we're going to be a city set in the hill, if we're going to have a community center in Englewood here at Liberty School, if all these things are going to happen, we need to be more united than ever before. And it's going to require you to submit to our leadership, even though you may not want to. And I guarantee you, God will bless you and teach you something that you've never been able to see before. There's something deeper that you can learn. And I think the thing that you'll learn is this. You'll learn how to love more like Jesus Christ when that happens. I'm not asking you to blindly submit to the leadership. What I am asking is that you would submit to it. And one of the ways in how you submit to it is to ask and share and share your concerns. Some of us perhaps, though, um, <laughs> you, don't, you struggle to submit to the leadership of the church because maybe we failed you in some ways. Maybe we gave you some bad counsel and that hurt you. I understand that. Maybe you emailed one of our pastors and never responded to the email and, um, and you're kind of upset about that. And so you, you're, you're, you kind of act more passive aggressively. You don't leave the church, you don't create like a big scene, but you just kind of distance yourself and keep the church at arm's length. Guys, when that happens, because listen, me, the pastoral staff, the leadership, guess what? I'm sorry, but we're gonna disappoint you. We're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. But let's talk about it and help us to see what we've maybe done wrong or we've overlooked. And maybe we can try to get better as we try to strive for unity. You could teach us and we could learn a little bit as well. That that would be a real beautiful thing that can happen within the midst of our church. That we can learn to build greater unity here as a church and as a community. And when we do that, then we no longer see the church as a place where we can just get from it and enter it into it as a, like, a, like a customer. We no longer have a low view of the church because we know that the church is the place that Jesus Christ has built and now he's charged us to come and be a part of something that he has built so that we know that the gates of Hades will never overcome it. Metro, the stakes are so high because I'm going to be very honest with you. Gun control is not going to stop people from shooting and killing each other. Now, we do need to have stronger gun control laws, I believe, in this country, but it's not going to stop people from killing each other. It's just not. People can try. We can try to have stronger government, to have stronger legislation and stronger laws and different things like that, but it's just not going to work. The only thing that's going to be, be able to work is that if these people get an opportunity to enter into the house in which Jesus Christ is built, to be infected by the love of God so they can grow in deeper understanding and learn to experience the love of God so that their lives can be transformed and changed. Amen. That's the hope of the future and the hope of the world. Can we be a part of that? Because if not, and if the church continues to be destroyed and we continue to see it as a shopping mall, we continue to see it as a place where God doesn't exist, but maybe we'll just go because, you know, it's just the right thing. We grew up in the culture of Christianity or it's good for our kids. If that's kind of how we see the church that we just take from it, then there is no hope for the world. And with desecrating what Christ said he built so beautifully and that the gates of Hades will never overcome it. And so could I encourage you, if you've been coming out to this church for a while, it is the leadership's desire that you would serve and be a part of this church. Would you submit to that? That you wouldn't just be ones that come and, and just 
come to the service, but that you would see that, you know, I'm going to submit to the leadership of the church today. I am going to serve in some ministry. Um, Metro Kids is going to have a table directly after the service. I just learned from Michelle that they need 27 teachers for the fall. 27. There's more than 27 people here that I believe are probably not serving. Could be done for service. Can you think about it? You guys don't know what you're missing. You don't know what you're missing when you, don't, when you choose not to serve God in the church because God is inviting you to be a part of strengthening the unity of the church. Jesus builds it. Yes, he's the one. But God is encouraging us to strengthen it. And you can be strengthening it with your lives and how you serve. I mean, God invites us. Thank you that he, I'm so grateful that he invites us to be a part of that, that you have an absolute privilege and an opportunity to be a part of something like that, that even a ministry like Setup, which I've been a part of for so long, you come and you come an hour early and you, you set this stuff up, but it's not just lifting some equipment, but you're here and you're here to set it up because you know that when this happens, people's lives can be changed and changed and transformed forever. You don't know what you're missing. It is a leadership's desire that you would serve this church in a way so that you could be the one who affirms and continues to be the one where Jesus Christ will hand you the keys to heaven so that you can use that to build the lives of people here in this church. That's what Jesus wants. That's what the leadership of this church would love to have. Now, if you've been attending this church for a while, it is the leadership's desire that you would take a step and become a partner of Metro Community Church. Partnership is what we use for membership. We don't use the word member, we use the word partner. It is the leadership's desire that you would become a partner in this church. And now some of you say, but why do I have to do that? We live in a commitment-phobic generation. I get that. But such a unity of the church, and if Jesus builds this thing, we need people to say, I'm going to go all the way. Become a partner and be a part of what God is doing in this church. You could say, no, you don't want to do it, but I do need you to know that when that happens, slowly but surely, you may not know this, but you're slowly contributing for people to continue to be divided here in the church. Go all the way, be a part of it, and see what God might have for you as you do. Can I speak to the partners for just a moment? I know our elder already did today, but partners, if you're a partner in this church, it is the leadership's desire that you would come and participate in our partners' meetings. We have four meetings a year, and I believe every meeting that we have, maybe about a third of our partners attended. Can I encourage you? to realize that this is something that's so important that we need you to come, we need you to share, and we need you to vote for things that we need to, to come and be a part of it. I know we're busy, but we'll give you a notice to be a part of it, but come. Our first partners meeting in November, which will be our budget meeting, I do pray that all of you would be a part of it. Partners, it's, it's you signed a covenant to be a part of a small group and be a part and to be serving in a ministry. And I'm happy to report to this church that the majority of our partners do it. But if you're not, could I encourage you to step up and know that this is something that you have covenanted with God and with the leadership of this church, that you would participate in it. Now, I know that there's sometimes there's seasons for us where you can't, if, you're, if you have a little one at home, there are things like that. It's, I know it's a challenge, and we get that, and that's a season. But we hope that you would serve and be a part of enhancing unity within this church and be a part of this because Jesus Christ builds it up. You have no idea how sometimes your ability or your willingness to submit to the leadership of this church, how we can encourage the leadership of this church. So when I went to seminary back in 2000, God gave me the vision for Metro Community Church in 2001. 
I was so excited about it. I really was. It was like the greatest experience, and I was so excited to come and, and start this church when I would graduate in 2003. I sort of had all the plan together. Um, and, uh, but one of the things that I wrestled with is that I just realized that I don't know if I can do it. I just really didn't feel like I had the gift sets to do this thing. And so I really struggled with my own insecurity, my own doubts. I, I talked myself out of it a lot of times. I remember talking to my senior pastor about it, and I was hoping to get some encouraging words, and he just laughed at me. He said, that's great. It's like, there's nothing great about that. And I thought to myself, clearly you don't have the gift of encouragement, because <laughs> I'm not being encouraged by what you're saying to me. But one day, I led a small group at my church, and we were doing this Habitat for Humanity project in Pasadena, and we were building, or re helping renovate a home. Our entire group went, and as we were doing that, my small group knew, because I asked them to pray for me, because you know, I struggle with this and stuff, and there was this girl, a part of our small group, her name is Ju Hong, I think we have a picture of her. We'd like to, yeah, there she is, that's Ju. And she, and as I was like, use, you know, working and painting this house, she just comes up to me, she goes, hey, um, I just want to ask, you think it'll be okay if I can join you to plant this church in New Jersey? I almost fell off the ladder. I looked at her and I said, really? What do you mean, is it okay? Of course it would be okay for you to come with me to plant this. I mean, I felt so good. That encouraged me that she would decide to leave everything behind and come with me to New Jersey. It would leave Los Angeles for New Jersey? I mean, I just thought, oh my gosh. God, are you, like, you, you've really encouraged me here. And so, like, I was so, I told everyone, everyone, everyone at home, guess what? We got somebody coming. It encouraged my faith. I was like, baby, God, you do believe that I could do this. When we got closer to the day of coming here in 2003, while it was very much so excitement for her, as we got closer to the date of moving out here together, I could see it was hard. She struggled with it because her life was in California. All of her best friends were in California. Everything she knew, she loved. It's not like she wanted to run away from California. She loved it. She loved the church. And I saw she was really struggling. And I just thought, oh man, what happens if she, doesn't, if she changes her mind? And she tells me she can't go. I felt like I needed to at least talk to her about it because she didn't look happy. She looked really sad. And I don't want her to come and be sad. And so I just said, I said, hey, um, you look really sad these days. Are you sure you want to do this? Because if you're not, then you could stay. It's okay, no hard feelings. And she said to me, she said, you know, years ago, before I even met you, because she went to school here in New York, she went to Columbia, and she said, um, when I got to my church here in LA, she said, I, always, I said to God, and I made a promise to him. I said, if somebody were to ever start a church that had sort of the philosophy of the church that she found in, in LA, in, in the New York, New Jersey area, she said she would go. So she's saying, Peter, I'm doing this out of obedience to the Lord. And then she said, it made all the difference for me. She said, I'm going to submit to your leadership. That encouraged me so much. Hey, uh, I just want you to know, ministry is not easy. It's discouraging a lot of times. <laughs> Our pastoral staff back there are like, amen. <laughs> It is discouraging. When you submit to our leadership, what you don't know what happens is that you encourage us more than you know. Because when you're being discouraged at times, 
and we should be stronger. We should say, ah, nothing should discourage us. We're human. But when people believe in our leadership, the way even Paul believed in James, there is an encouragement and the body becomes stronger and there's a unity that's built. Submit to the leadership of this church. I guarantee you nothing bad will happen. God will bless you for that. He truly will. He'll bless you for it. Second thing and last thing here, and it doesn't get easier, I'm sorry. If you want to build unity in the church, you got to learn to forgive one another. You just have to. Look at what it says in verse 27. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. Think about this. Paul just went through the seven days of the cleansing ritual, and immediately when it was over, this happens to him, right? Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus and the Ephesian in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Paul didn't do that, but they assumed that that's what he did. The whole city was aroused, and the people came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. Now, what you need to know is that Jews had full jurisdiction to kill people if they felt like they were going against their law, if they defiled the temple. Remember how Stephen was killed? Did they get, I mean, if you kill somebody today, guess what? You go to jail. You're going to get arrested. There is laws against that. You can't just kill anyone. In the first century in Jerusalem, if somebody has defiled the temple, they can just kill them. They don't, need, they don't need government to say you can do that. So that's what happened. They closed the door, and they were getting ready to kill him. And if the Roman government didn't enter into it, understand this, Paul would have died that day. He would have died, all right? So uh, look what it says. While they were trying, in verse 31, while they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating him. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth, because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him. Reminiscent to what Jesus heard when, before he was crucified on the cross and when he stood trial before Pilate. Now, I know it doesn't explicitly say that Paul forgave these people, but you got to know Paul had to. Paul had to forgive those who beat him, tried to kill him. Paul had to forgive the failed leadership of the Jerusalem church, James and the elders. And the reason why we know that to be true is because if Paul didn't forgive them, he would be living with a deep sense of bitterness in his life. And if he lived with bitterness, because when he goes to jail, we'll see this in the next coming weeks, when he goes to jail, he spends two years in jail from this incident. And as a result of those two years, you know what he did in jail? He sang a lot of praises to the Lord. He was worshiping in spirit and in truth. And he wrote the most poetic, one of the most powerful books in all the New Testament. I shared this last week. What did he write? He wrote Philippians. What is Philippians? Philippians is the manual of joy. If you want to know how to experience the joy of the Lord, read the book of Philippians. Paul will teach you. Paul wrote the book of Philippians while he was in jail. There's no way he could have wrote that if he was bitter and angry and upset at the people who have hurt him. Paul was able to forgive them. He was able to forgive James and the elders of the church for what had happened. That none of them decided to come to his defense. Did any of them try to save him? No. They just let him get beat up. They basically said, Paul, you're on your own. Paul had to forgive James and the elders 
because they didn't come and try to rescue them. And so what I want you to know is this, when we are doing life together as a church, we will offend and hurt each other because that's just part of human relationships. If you have a relationship with someone that you have never fought with and that relationship has been going on for years, I guarantee you, you guys are not close. You're distant. It's very superficial at best. Because in any relationship that's significant and something that you want to draw closer to, whenever you're in a relationship with that person, you will fight. There will be things that is said and that is done that will hurt one another, and that's going to happen. And when that happens in the church, you can't just feel your pain and say, you know what, it's what I feel, so I'm not going to forgive that person. You can't do that because there's too much at stake. The unity of the church is at stake. And for the sake of unity, you have to get to the place where you're going to forgive that person that you must be willing to do so the way Paul was willing to do so. Now, some of you, this is tough because forgiveness is not something that we like to excel in in our own spiritual lives, and maybe it's an area that's been really a hard thing for you in your life, but we have to be willing to forgive. Why? Why do we have to forgive? Because some of you have been hurt by some people, maybe here in the church or elsewhere outside the church, and you feel like there's no way you're gonna get to a place where you're gonna forgive. There are a few important reasons that I hope I can convince you through the word of God that will lead you to forgive the people who have hurt you. The first reason why you have to forgive it's because you've been forgiven. You've been forgiven. God has give, forgiven you of a debt that is far greater than any debt that you will ever have to forgive in this world. Amen? It just will. When you look at that parable of the talents, it's so powerful there because it talks about when that servant was forgiven of the master and the king's debt, the master expected him to go out and forgive the debts of the others because the debt that the master forgave him of was huge, but he didn't. He didn't forgive the debt of the servant that owed him a little debt. And so what that teaches us simply is that we are to forgive. Why? Because God forgave you. The second reason why you are to forgive is because if you don't forgive, God ain't going to forgive you. If you don't forgive, God is not going to forgive you. Look what it says in Matthew 6, 14 to 15. Matthew 6, 14 to 15. If your father, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. When God's mercy does not move us to become a merciful person, there's something dreadfully wrong with our souls. That's why you gotta forgive, because God won't forgive you if you're not. And I know it's a process. I know you gotta enter into a process, but for some of us, the process is too long. You gotta be open to forgiving because God won't forgive you if you don't forgive. And the third, and I think the thing that puts the nail on the coffin of why you need to forgive is because if you don't, Satan will have grounds for your soul. Ephesians 4, 26 to 27, here's what it says. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. The word foothold in the Greek, in, that new t in the Koine Greek, basically when you translate it, it means ground or an inhabited place. So hear me, get this. It's a progression. You know this to be true because you know people who are like this and you know you're like this. When you say you are not going to forgive somebody who has hurt you, the devil has legal right to live in your soul. Now, if you're a lawyer, you know when there's legal precedence, there's nothing you can do. When you break the law, there's a legal precedence that the state come upon you and do whatever it needs to do because you have to abide by the law. When you do not forgive, you give legal grounds for the devil to live in your soul. So let me just say this one more time. If you don't forgive, Satan will live in your heart. And what is his objective when he lives in your soul? To torment and torture you. That's his objective. To torment and torture you. 
And some of you are experiencing the torment and torture and you're just not able to put it. But I hope you'll be able to see now in your own heart, in your life, you're realizing the reason why you're struggling so much. And it's all linked because you're not willing to forgive those people who have deeply hurt you and wounded you. To preserve unity in the church, we've got to get to a place where we can forgive one another. Right? In my experience, not all, but in my experience, I've done a lot of counseling. I think so much of mental illness, through my experience, is a direct result of people's unwillingness to forgive other people. And as a result of that, they give Satan legal rights to their soul. And as a result, Satan torments them and tortures them through depression, through anxiety, through a ton of fear, through different types of illnesses as a result of it. And if you can just learn to forgive, there would be healing. How do you do it? How do you do it? Two things for you that's helped me tremendously. First, pray a blessing for that person that you can't forgive. Pray a blessing for your enemy, your greatest enemy. Now listen, if you're a human being, and I think all of you are, you have gotten hurt, I know you have. Somebody has hurt you one time or another. You cannot live this life not getting hurt by somebody. It could be a family member, it can be a former business partner, it can be an ex, it can be somebody in this church. We get hurt. Yeah, you gotta pray a blessing upon them. I wanna give you the one month challenge. Well, well, let's go to Luke first. Let's see what Jesus says here in Luke chapter six. You're like, I wanna pray a blessing upon somebody that I hate. Look at what Jesus says in verse 27. Luke 6, 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. My goodness. Serious? Yes. The 30-day challenge is simply this. I want you to pray a blessing upon the person who's caused you the greatest pain in your life. For 30 days, every day, pray a blessing. I guarantee you your prayer in the beginning will be something like this. Oh God, I pray your justice <laughs> would happen, let's just make up a name, in Tom's life. I pray that as he plays basketball, he would sprain his ankle. <laughs> And the pain that causes him would remind him of the pain he's caused me. That's not a prayer of blessing, but if that's where you're gonna start, I think God will understand. In day 30, this is what your prayer is gonna start sounding like, because I've done this before. God, would you bless Tom's family? Would you bless his relationship with his wife and his kids? Would you bless him at his job? Would you help him to be successful? Would you help him to know the depth of your love? that he doesn't have to live with such anger because that ends up hurting people. Would you bless Tom? You pray like for 30 days for this guy, Tom, fake guy, Tom. God will allow you to believe, to forgive that person because you know you've truly forgiven someone when you bless and you want them to be blessed. And what you'll find out in those 30 days, this was always happened to me, because the violence of the person who offended you seems so bad. When you pray a blessing upon their lives, you begin to grow in deeper understanding and you realize you're not too far off from them either. That you're just as messed up as them. And it gives you a greater ability to forgive them. Sometimes the offense or the wound is so hard for us that it's so hard for us to separate ourselves, our own brokenness, with the brokenness of those who hurt us. And when we pray for a blessing, what happens many times is that God will begin to show us to help us to grow in deeper understanding so that at the end we can grow in deeper love. Metro, the reason why God loves you is because he understands your brokenness. If he didn't understand your brokenness, he would kill us. 
he understands how weak and broken we are. And that's why he loves us. When you can pray a blessing upon somebody who's hurt you for 30 days, you're gonna understand their brokenness. And you're gonna realize you're not that far off from them. The last thing in how you forgive somebody, grieve the hurt and the loss. Here's the big one. A lot of you don't think you need to grieve it. You don't, you don't think you need to grieve the hurts and the loss that people have caused you. You just think anger is all that's necessary, but you gotta grieve it, because if you're not gonna grieve it, what's, end up, what's gonna end up happening is that by you not processing your emotions, you're gonna fall into unhealthy, sinful patterns. Addictions like sexual sin, gossip, drinking, drugs, whatever. Some of your addictions could be success. You just wanna have more money and more money. And all of that, you know why you have those desires? Because you're so wounded and you're not willing to grieve those things. And, and, and in some ways, you've developed this unhealthy cycle of addiction patterns in your life to kind of deal with that wound, but that's never going to heal it. So you got to grieve it. you got to learn to grieve it. And, and please hear me, guys, on this, because I'm a guy. I'm just like you. Sometimes you think you don't need to grieve it. You're like, ah, I don't need to grieve that. Give me a break. You need to grieve it. One of the ways that helps me to grieve is that I love to journal and just kind of be very honest with my emotions before the Lord. That really helps me. I have a prayer journal that I write in and God just helps me with that. I just pour it out and God helps me to see some things sometimes I don't even see. The other way that helps me to grieve is I have, um, I have, uh, I have some friends that I do life with and I just share it with them. I share it very raw and then they help me. Just even sharing can really help me as well. And so you gotta be willing to grieve that. All right, forgiveness is not a matter of more faith. Some of you believe you need more faith to forgive someone. No, 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 it's not a matter of more faith. Forgive this is a matter of obedience. You don't need more faith to forgive someone. You just need to obey. Go for it. Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia of Star Wars, says this, very prophetic. She says, resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. That's what she says. Princess Leia said that. Resentment is like drinking poison and you wait for the other person to die. And when you and I live in resentment, we can never be agents of unity in the church. We're going to be agents of disunity. And you know that. How has your resentment already hurt people in your life? I'm sure it's even hurt people within this church. Unity is preserved in the church when you submit to the leadership of this church and when you forgive those who've hurt you. Last week I shared with you that I started a doctoral program up at Alliance Theological Seminary. It's been a game changer in my life these days. Uh, but there was this one part of the, of, of the class where we had to write a grief journal and share it with our professor. He met with us at certain times. And so he met with us in groups and uh, my, 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 my teammate was um, a group member of mine. His name is Paul from Cameroon. Uh, he's a missionary in Cameroon. And, uh, and so we just, it was just two of us meeting with our professor and we sat there and uh, he shared his grief journal about three different things that was really hard for him. And the professor got up and just laid his hands on him and prayed a blessing upon his life. And that was great. I shared my grief journal and one of the things I shared about my grief journal is that I shared that, um, you guys know this, you know, growing up in Palisades Park since the third grade, I experienced quite a bit of racism and discrimination with uh, Italian Americans and Irish people. Uh, they would call me horrible names and I just kind of shared very openly. And one of the things I shared in that grief journal is I said that um, because of all of that, it's kind of um, put me at arm's length with white men. That uh, I keep them at arm's length because I don't know if they're gonna hurt me or not. And this is just out of, it's sort of a self-preservation mode for me. Until they can win my trust, then I'll be all in and I connect deeply with them. But until they can first earn my trust, I always keep white men sort of at arm's length because I don't know if they're going to hurt me or not. It's just kind of how I'm programmed, right? Again, a self-preservation tactic so I don't get hurt again. 
I'd share that with him and everything. And you know, the professor is white. I shared it with him. And then after I was done, he said, I'm going to pray for you. So I was like, give it to me. I want it. So he comes up and he's getting ready to pray. He goes, before I pray for you, he said, I got to do something first. He gets on his knees like this. And he puts his hand on my chest. And he says, on behalf of white people, on behalf of my tribe, I ask that you would forgive us for making fun of you. And then he started crying. I ask that you would forgive us for making you feel so much shame in being Korean and where you had to deny that part of how God has created you. Forgive us. Guys, you don't understand. I just wept. I have spiritual fathers who are white. Some of my closest friends are white. No one, no white person has ever done that to me in my life. I didn't know I had to grieve it in order to be healed, in order to fully forgive. I had no idea. I thought I was fine because I have friends. I do, I do life with these guys. I had no idea I had to grieve it and I just wept and he allowed me to and he wept with me. And I felt a sense of freedom in my heart, the sense of freedom now that I don't have to live with, that I don't have to be angry or have to keep white people at a distance. I don't want to get hurt by them and things like that. There was a freedom now for me to fully engage and build love with every one of God's creatures. Some of you have to grieve. You have to grieve some things that people have done to you that you are struggling to forgive. Because when you do that, I do believe that God will speak to you and heal you and allow you to experience something that's going to give you encouragement, not only to live in freedom and be a blessing to those in your home and to your house, but you will be a blessing in this church by being somebody who's going to build unity here in this community. Will you forgive those who've hurt you? Will you submit to the leadership of this church so that you can be someone that helps Jesus build this church by building stronger unity. That's my prayer for you. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Here's what I want to do today, and we'll try to do this as fast as possible. I want us, if this has impacted you in some way, I don't want us to be passive about this. I would rather have us be more active. If you want to join God and join Jesus, he says, I will build my church. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will never overcome it. If you want to get to a place now and maybe you're doing it already, that's great. This is for you too. But that you want to be somebody who builds unity in this church. You'll do it by submitting to the leadership. You're going to do it by forgiving those who've hurt you in this church so that you are somebody who brings unity to the church rather than divide it. And maybe you're not even a part of this church, that's okay, but the church that you're a part of, if you would like to be a part of it, to be a part of building the unity in the church, I'm gonna ask you to do something that I've never asked anyone to ever do, probably in the 15 years of our church. I'm gonna ask you to stand up and come forward and stand here at the altar and make a promise to God that you're gonna do whatever you can. We'll, we'll make mistakes, we're gonna fall. God, will, his mercy will be great for you. But that you would take a stand and say, Lord, I believe that you have built this church and as a result of building this church, I am going to do whatever I can 
to preserve and build unity in the church because the gates of Hades will never overcome it. If that's you and you would like to make that commitment to our God today, could I encourage you to rise up and come forward and I'm gonna pray a special prayer. That's all I'm gonna do, just pray a special prayer for you and go back to your seat. Nothing crazy is gonna happen. I'm just gonna pray for you that we stand in solidarity together. So can we rise, anyone who wants to do this, come forward and stand in front of the altar and we are going to pray for you today. Thank you. Anyone else? You could be doing it, but we still want you to come up if you're doing it. You don't even have to be a part of Metro. Your church, I'm saying your church. If this is your church, this church, but if it's your church, come forward, thank you. Anyone else? It's beautiful. Look at the diversity in this group. Amen. I want you to hold hands because this is unity. I want you to hold hands to the person next to you And here's what I want you to pray for the person to your left and your right. Could you pray that God would give you the ability to love them? And that as you do that, that that goes around to everyone here in this group. Just pray, God, help me to love this person on my left and on my right. Help me to love them. And as you do that, you're going to pray for all of you. And you guys are going to be now our agents of leaders that's going to bring greater unity in this church. You just spend just a brief moment praying for that. Just pray that you would go deeper and you would be able to love that person on your left and your right. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God, I don't know how many is up here. But God, they are so beautiful. I pray that they would know how beautiful they are in your eyes. And God, I pray that you would bless them, that they would be able to love one another the way you do. And I pray that you would empower them so that they can stand and be leaders of this church, that they would bring profound unity in this community. God, and as they do that, they'll do it by submitting to the leadership of this church, but do that also as they forgive one another as they're in relationship with each other, God. Lord, I pray that you would remove any barriers that the enemy maybe has put forth in this church, that through these men and women, that those barriers would be overcome. And that there would be true unity here at Metro Community Church, that we would be a city set on a hill, that we would be salt and light, that as as you call us into the next season of our church's life, Lord Jesus, that we would be ready to welcome and love on anyone who walks through those doors. Love them the way you do. And God, I pray that we would be able to be loved the way you love us, that we would be able to experience that in new and fresh ways. I pray for their courage here. I pray you bless them, you would anoint them, and use them powerfully to bring unity. Thank you, Jesus, that you build the church and the gates of Hades will never overcome it. And now, Holy Spirit, would you give them the keys to the kingdom of heaven so they could be used to lead others into heaven as well. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Give each other a hug if you can, really quickly. Amen, amen. Thank you. Can you just flip over your communication card really quick? There are some next steps that I'd love for you to take. 
first, if you've never committed your life to Jesus, would you please check that off and let us know that you've given your life to him and we'll get back to you. Go out to the next table before you leave. Second, please sign me up for Connections Dinner on August 25th at 4 p.m. It's kind of like the first step of you being a, a sort of interested in getting more deeply connected into the church. It'll be at my home at 4 o'clock on August 25th. Check that off. We'll get back to you the week of the Connections Dinner. Uh, third, if you've attended a Connections Dinner, sign me up for Partnership Class on September 15th. Be awesome if you could be a part of that. Fourth, I will commit to offering a prayer of blessing to my greatest enemy. For the next month, pray a blessing on your greatest enemy. Fourth, I will attend the prayer and worship service at Liberty School this Sunday, this Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. I'm asking you, if you come, can you fast that day? That we're all going to fast and come. And if you don't, totally fine. Umbrella of grace. Don't worry about it. Just come. Can I encourage you all to come and be a part of this? We want to, I'd love to have a few hundred people on the lawn so that people can see what's happening. We're going to just pray. It'll be one hour of your time. Just come to Liberty School at 7.30 p.m. this coming Wednesday. It would be awesome. Last thing, if you're interested in serving, again, there's some places where you can serve outside, but set up and break down ministry. We'd love to have more people serving their ministry. We want to give you an opportunity to do that if you're open to it. Check that off. We'll get back to you this week. I promise you.